Welcome to Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. I'm Regina Neenan, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Jason Spessner, Certified Financial Planner and Enrolled Agent. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about every financial planner's favorite subject, retirement. More specifically, we'll dive into retirement dates. Now, is your retirement a set date like your 65th birthday or January 1st of the year after you turn 60? Or is it more like a moving target, like somewhere between 55 and 70? Or maybe financial independence is more your thing and you're shooting to retire in your 40s or your 50s. Either way, today we're going to talk about retirement dates and how to set or reset yours. And Jason, you've liked to say that you've retired many people. Um, you've gone through setting and maybe resetting retirement dates with them. Then you've celebrated that achievement when they've reached it and you continue to work with them now that they're officially retired. Yeah, you know, that's right. I haven't done it myself, right? But I've seen it over and over. And what's unique in almost every case is the age when someone retires and how they determine that age. Um, you know, for most people, there is this sort of idea that they got to have a milestone, right? And so setting that milestone is the important part of this discussion as far as like, when is that milestone, right? Yeah, yeah. So you've worked with some baby boomers in your time. Um, how have they gone about setting that retirement date? Well, so the funny thing that comes up a, a lot, right, that I like to think about is this kind of age that we have that is almost ingrained in everyone's minds. It's in every pension plan. It's like just all over the place. It's where Social Security started, right? So Social Security started when it came out, right? 65 was the full retirement age. And that was actually, right, just mm -hmm. like most things are that come out of Washington, it was a political compromise. It was something where, yeah, anything over that, right, wasn't going to be palatable. No one wanted to say that, hey, when you're talking about the uh, uh, mid-century um, of the 20th century, you know, oh, we're going to start paying you when you're in your 70s. Well, people weren't living that long, right? And so you had to get some of these dollars out. And so 65 was that compromise. Um, and, and actually, FDR wanted it to be a little, little earlier than that, but we ended up uh, kind of settling there. And so frankly, like that's t the typical kind of starting. Got it. So I won't get into whether it's Roosevelt or Roosevelt, but how have things changed since then? How are people setting their retirements, retirement dates now? You know, it's fine. I, I, I like the uh, Roosevelt, Roosevelt discussion. How about F FDR, the initials like JFK, right? Stick, stick in your mind a lot more. Yeah, we'll stick with um, that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, early retirement is the, is the, you know, one of the bigger buzzwords, right? Folks would like to think of an early retirement. So that typically means something before 65. Um, and nowadays, if you want to be aggressive enough, you're going to go before 60. Um, one of the biggest things that comes up in almost every single one of these early retirement discussions is, of course, you know, how do you take care of the healthcare side of it? Because right. as we all know, right, the big tie in here for retirement uh, is going to be Medicare, right? And Medicare does start and always has been a age 65 benefit for most people. Um, and so that just is typically the biggest conversation. If there is a bridge that can be built to cover the gap between whenever work and, and, and kind of working for a dollar and working for a living is stopped and that Medicare eligibility age, then that's going to be right the age that somebody will pick. So if they can build that five-year bridge uh, with with either a marketplace plan or their spouse's insurance or something else, maybe they retire at 60. Maybe they retire something before there. 
Yeah, let's let's actually focus on that for a minute. I know that prior to the Affordable Care Act being passed, it was a little bit tougher to bridge that gap because people really had to either have a job to have insurance or really go out on their own and find that independent coverage. So can you tell me a little bit about how much easier it's gotten for people to be able to go and get marketplace plans to bridge that gap? Especially if you're in kind of full control of the income that's going to hit your tax return, it's become incredibly effective to go and shop in the marketplace, right? Because what ends up happening is if you're able to have the control of your income, if you're able to, you know, whether it's taking distributions from certain assets, maybe you're, you know, living off of things like your IRA or your investment accounts, maybe you have a rental property paying you income and you've stopped, you know, receiving that W-2 income. Now, all of a sudden you fit into a range where you might get a pretty, pretty heavy, if not kind of covering everything sort of subsidy with the, with the premium tax credit. Prior to this, right, prior to the Affordable Care Act, there was there was a lot of, yeah, it was a pain in the butt to, to find insurance. And that was, and still is, frankly, uh, the, the biggest concern and typically the highest cost in that sort of, that, that bridge period. Yeah. And that extra element of control really enables younger people to start to think about retirement earlier than 60, like you said. So now we're getting a little bit into Generation X. How are people really focusing on kind of this earlier retirement and how is, you know, stashing money in maybe a savings account that they're not taking taxable distributions from able to help them plan and reach that financial independence prior to the more typical retirement ages? Well, if you think about just what you end up doing as far as putting income right or or creating income for yourself in retirement you're you're going to find that you're going to want to fall into a particular type of distribution strategy and you know a really good idea is simply to just to to look at kind of where your dollars have already been taxed right where they haven't been taxed yet and where they're kind of taxed all the time right and how can you leverage you know, those three sort of buckets to make the most effective use and, and it kind of extend the life, right, of your dollars. So the younger you are, um, obviously the longer you're planning, right, for this retirement to be. And so you really, really have to start getting a lot more concentrated into the order of distributions, right? And so when I talk about order of distributions, I think about things like things that are taxed annually. Well, if you can kind of shuttle those and get those out of your portfolio sooner, right, that's one less thing off your tax bill. And it's also a very, a tax effective kind of thing that creates income, capital gains and qualified dividends, right? Those are, those are taxed at lower rates, right? And, and so you can leverage those earlier on. Then you look at stuff that hasn't been taxed already. Um, you know, if that is something that's within your control to kind of dial those levers, maybe by the time you've reached a, a social security age, once you've exhausted the stuff that's taxed annually, maybe you can tone that down, right? And those distributions become a smaller part. Maybe you're considering things like Roth conversions and so on. But yeah, for for the kind of before the baby boomer generation, if you're getting into um, you know someone now that you would call you know Generation X, for sure, you're thinking about order of distributions being a critical, critical part of that retirement decision. So I know some of the things we've touched on so far have been you know more flexibility of timing for Gen X compared to baby boomers more opportunity as far as healthcare, and then also just really designing the buckets in which they're going to put those dollars so they can make them most tax efficient and effective when they go into financial independence. Um, What else can they kind of either learn from baby boomers or rethink on their own with everything that's changed lately when it comes to selecting that retirement date? You know, the, the bigger thing here is that what's happened in society, right? Baby boomers are sort of the 
you know, you still see pensions, you still see, you know, fixed income sources that were provided by an employer and, you know, potentially are kind of the cornerstone of the income plan. And what's happened is as generation X and younger, that's gone away. So there's kind of two components to this, right? You you don't have that income kind of protection, so to speak, at least built in or, or from an employer. But at the same time, that creates sort of this flexibility, right? You're not beholden to this idea that, well, to maximize this pension, I have to work till this age and I have to retire under these circumstances. And I have to do all these things. You kind of get to blaze your own path, right? And so it gives you more of that flexibility, right? That more of that, it, it, the decisions you're making early on as far as where you're saving dollars and how you're filling those buckets can really help you determine possibly affect that, you know, I'm using my air quotes here, that early retirement, right? That sort of thing where you're able to retire potentially, you know, five to 10 years before we would consider something like a 65 and so on, you know, just simply because you're leveraging uh, some of that prudent decision-making as you earn those dollars and you have that flexibility to do that rather than having them swept away into a pension that you have no control of. So not having the pension is kind of a blessing and a curse. Um. Maybe, (laughs) (laughs) So what should people who are maybe Gen X or younger, if they have a pension, how should they be thinking about that differently? Well, I mean, it depends where that pension is, right? I mean, if you look here in Colorado, uh, we have the public, you know, public employees or para uh, retirement system. And there's always concerns. I, I feel like every three or four years, we hear something about para, right? Some concern with para, maybe it's funding ratio isn't right. Maybe their investment performance hasn't been where it needs to be. They recently made some changes to the inflation adjustments and they've they're trying, right? Of course, like any pension has the duty to do to bring those things back into line. And again, it's a very common sort of thing. The health system here, uh, uh, UC Health, they have their own pension system through the University of Colorado Hospital Authority. So the pensions are still out there, right? They, they still exist. Typically, when you see them, though, they are going to be this sort of governmental pension, and that becomes a replacement to Social Security. So realistically, it's it's kind of like a pension, but you're, you're also replacing a benefit that everyone, assuming they're working in the United States and, and are eligible for Social Security, like everyone receives, right? So it's not quite the same as this other standalone pension, this other income source that's there. And so you're really thinking about that as kind of that Social Security alternative, which still gives you that you know incentive and encouragement. I mean, Social Security and or that government pension isn't going to cover all the, all the needs, and it's probably not going to cover anything until you are in your mid-60s. So taking the bull by the horns, the younger you are, the earlier you're thinking about this retirement or financial independence or you know whatever you want to describe it as, the earlier you're, you're thinking about, the more aggressive you're just going to need to be with right managing your outflows and you know saving the right amount of dollars. And that kind of brings us into the millennial generation. Um, I consider myself a millennial. Jason, how would you answer the are you a millennial question? Um, I guess what am I? They, what do they call this? The I'm in that weird. I was born in '82, like so on the that, cusp. Is that what this, it is? Like, yeah, it's something. I think it's like the Super Mario generation. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I guess right. Technically, I, I think right on the edge of that millennial 
sort of thing. And, and I think about stuff like social security, right? I like to remind clients that are baby boomers in generation X that, you know, if changes happen in social security, when those changes are, occur, it's very likely it's going to affect my generation and younger simply because that's where they typically lead things, right? They look at, okay, we're going to push back the retirement age. Uh, a lot of the changes, a lot of the restructuring. And again, I'm not a lawmaker and Lord knows what they're going to come up with next. But a lot of those changes historically have been extending those eligibility dates, extending those ages. And so I like to think about my planning as far as like when I'm going to retire, when I'm going to rely on this income, I I try to do it absent of it, right? I try to think, not even think that I'm going to receive it. It almost becomes a true safety net. And and that's basically what it's designed to be, but it becomes gravy in a sense. It's not the um, not a cornerstone, right? I'm, I'm not at the point to really plan on it as a cornerstone sort of income source or anything that would, you know, be substantial. So think about it. If you're in the millennial age group, right? If you're considered a millennial, that, that social security is just sort of that, that thing on the side, you got to really focus on how you can take, take kind of the bull by the horn, so to speak, and prepare yourself saving and investing wisely. And that's exactly how I think about it too. Whenever I'm, you know, doing a retirement calculator or looking at my financial plan, it's never a given. It's never something that I know I can rely on. And that brings up another interesting point here. If Gen X is really thinking about designing their retirements differently than baby boomers, are more folks in Gen Y planning to retire even earlier? Do you see more people looking at maybe their 40s or early 50s as retirement or financial independence instead of, you know, getting into the, the later 50s, early 60s? And, and right. You, I think you'd agree with me on this. We, we, we have these conversations, right? This, this comes up, I think more frequently. And of course, right. We had this sort of selection bias because the folks that we're talking to are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're positioning themselves to, to continue their financial success. And they are at the age where they can talk about a retirement in their forties and fifties versus somebody who already is in their forties, fifties or sixties. And, you know, maybe they're kind of looking at that in the rear view mirror, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that the, the kind of redefining of what this actually means, right? And, and retirement, right? I mean, it's, it's like, think about that, right? You know, what does that mean to people? It's almost become kind of a taboo word in a sense. And so it's been rephrased into all these different, right? Financial independence and, you know, there's the fire movement, the, the financial independence retire early file movement, all these various sort of things. And the bottom line is there, there's, Something that is creating income and it's probably looks a lot like work, but it's also at the same time, not the nine to five punch the clock, got to get the paycheck. I mean, do, do you see that too when you, when you're working with, with Gen Y and, and, uh, you know, the, the younger generations? Absolutely. Especially people who are in more high pressure work where, you know, maybe they're working 10 and 12 hour days and it's just getting to be too much. So they say, okay, you know, I can do this for another three years, another five years, but then I'm going to need a break. And that break isn't just a temporary pause and then back to the same work that they were doing. It's more of you know, taking a, maybe it is a break, but it's definitely a step down. Maybe it's going to work at a local coffee shop or um, a sporting goods store that they love so that they can, you know, get the employee discount or get to meet people in their community and really ingrain themselves in the types of groups that they really want to be a part of, where they really want to spend their time. And sure, they'll use it for maybe the insurance benefits. Maybe they get their healthcare there so they don't have to go out on their own and get that marketplace plan. 
but they'll use it as a way to really enrich their lives instead of, you know, a way to earn a living. Almost like a, a semi-permanent and smart sabbatical, right? That you you have, and, and right, I mean, uh, uh, your, your Starbies fans and all of these, right, these large national employers and Starbies is, is my uh, daughter's expression for Starbucks. I'm sure I'm aging myself by even having to explain that. But there's opportunities to just do something part-time, do something on the side. You've accumulated dollars from a, you know, maybe a higher stress, higher pressure job, and you just need to get your benefits kind of won, right? You don't need these, these big dollar paychecks. You don't need that sort of thing. What you need is, you know, peace of mind and the ability to have some time freedom and the ability to do what you want. And there's work situations now where you're not really working. You're, you're, you're doing a task. You're getting benefits and you're, you're able to, you know, really leverage that additional flexibility and, and lack of stress, right? To uh, to do you, I guess, would be the best way to say it. Yes, I love it. And you you said the uh, the magic word there, sabbatical. For people who maybe aren't in like super high pressure, super intense jobs, but you know, they're hard workers, they're professionals, they're doing what they do best. A lot more people lately have been mentioning sabbaticals, being interested in them. Um, and I know recently we wrote a blog about sabbaticals. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you've seen and maybe what people have been interested in doing as far as sabbaticals go? I always think of like a sabbatical, and maybe this is just what's ingrained in my version or definition of it, but I think about it as, as a period of kind of finding yourself, right? I mean, it's really... Uh, about the self-exploration. So yeah, you're going to cut out work. And some people take very purposeful and intentional sabbaticals where they're going to just wind up right back where they were job-wise and, and, and work-wise at the end of it. And then other times they are very open-ended, right? But the bottom line is in, in either case, what, what I, the feedback I've heard and, and the folks that I know who have taken a sabbatical and what they spent their time doing Almost always it's, you know, I unplugged, I learned about what I enjoy most. I really had time to think about things rather than just have information, right? Because we live in an age where you will just get beat over the head with information um, unless you purposefully and intentionally kind of shut it off. And so it's all about that sort of inwardness, right? It's, it's you know, I don't want to go as far as saying it's almost religious, but it is in a sense, it's a very sort of self-discovering period that is coupled with right this need for semi sort of uh, permanent financial independence right you need to be able to support yourself while you're not working right while you're doing that discovery and so that setting that saying i'm going to do this at 40 i'm going to do this between 40 and 45 that is a air quote retirement but it's temporary right and then you work back into what do you want to do next what's the next phase and so that that's how i see i mean it, w- 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 as far as your sabbatical experience I mean, do you find that to be the same or do what other sort of parts of the sabbatical or a sabbatical do you think uh, I'm missing here? I feel like it just goes so, so much further than, you know, your traditional two week vacation every year where, you know, that's your time off and you're working from the time you're, um, you know, 18 or 22 until you're 65. Maybe it's a month off every other year. Maybe it's, you know, three months every five years, Um, but definitely a, a nice break so that you can, like you said, really find yourself, do what you're interested in maybe gain some education, just take some time away from doing what you do best to see what other kinds of things you do well and you enjoy that you might not have time for when you are um, you know, working for your employer or working for yourself for that matter. And then, right, you're, you're talking about just getting into the workforce, the younger generations, Generation Z, right, where you've spent a lot of time 
not working, you've been learning, you've been exploring the world, whatever it is, and now you're entering the workforce and you're you're getting into this thing where you're actually starting to to earn, uh, uh you know, be be paid to earn a living and and you know pursuing a profession and tasked with the idea of okay, well, when do you stop, right? When does this become, you know, uh, an optional activity? And that could be a long way off, right? But the beauty of of how financial planning works is if you go into it intentionally, if you go into it with the idea that at some age in the future, you're going to stop working and here are the inputs and the outputs, uh, whether that's right income from a passive source like real estate, uh, investment portfolio of stocks and bonds, whether it's you know what you're spending money on, whether it's rent, whether it's entertainment, you can really start to set the stage. And the earlier you start, the better, right? As far as being able to actually execute on that plan strategically. Yeah, it's like you're really being the architect designing your life here. And I I feel you. I remember when I was younger going from having summers off to working year round and, you know, maybe having those two weeks, but maybe not even taking those two weeks because maybe when you're younger, you feel like you have to be so dedicated that you you can't take that time away. So I feel like it's really giving yourself the freedom to do that and also designing your life so that you really have the accountability to yourself to take that time because you do deserve it. You need that. I also feel like Generation Z and even millennials have been thinking more about their futures. You know, what will the world look like when I'm X age, when I'm in my 40s or 50s or 60s? How will climate change change the things that I want to do with my time off, with my maybe sabbatical or my quote unquote retirement? They may not be able to do the same things that we can do now. So I feel like more people are really taking the time to enjoy their lives, to travel, to see the things that they want to see now, knowing that we don't know what the future holds. Ambition, right? Ambition for both working. You you talked about it earlier. Not taking the time off, just pushing through things and wanting to, you know, see see kind of test the limits of our uh, abilities. But then also ambition to to see the world and to explore it and to to do the things. The younger you are, the the big message here, right? Obviously, is the there is no time like the present to start thinking about and planning for this. And so with this episode being about how to actually do this, let's talk about a couple of things that uh, involve the kind of how to's, right? And we, we've we touched on some, right? I've talked about the inputs and the outputs. I've talked about the healthcare considerations and what you need to do there, living circumstances, time until you get to do these things. If you're 25 today and you want to plan on retiring at 60, for example, you've got a heck of a lot of time to sort things out. You've got time to make mistakes and learn from them and improve on them. But if you're 25 and you want to retire at 40, right? It's all the same. You've compressed the time frame, but you still have a, a, a solid period of time from which you need to, to make decisions, right? And you just need to be more disciplined. The bottom line is the closer you are to your retirement age, the more disciplined you have to be with your decision-making because you're going to have to start lining those ducks up in a more productive way. You're going to have to start really pulling the strings and ringing the bells that make impact to your financial planning um, in a more purposeful and intentional way. So Jason, how can somebody who maybe set their retirement date 15 years ago and they're getting close to it, how can they really solidify it or reset it if they need to? How do you know? 
I think a big part of this is like when you did that, what were you? Th- I hate to say it this way. What were you thinking? No, what were what? But but reality is, yeah. What were you thinking about? What were sort of the assumptions? Right. This whole exercise is one of assumptions. We assume at age. Let's put out the normal, right? At age 65, well, I'll have my Medicare paid for and I'll be a couple of years away from full social security age. And, you know, maybe I do work for a state employer or I, maybe I work for somewhere where I happen to have a pension. I'll have this income turn on then. And if I'm saving money now, I'm assuming that that will be worth X. And so there's all of these assumptions. And you've made the assumptions intentionally a certain period of time ago, let's say 15 years ago, like you said. Now, investigating that today, what do those assumptions look like, right? We get more precision. The closer we get to these things, the more precise and the more accurate we're able to be in making those assumptions. And so is there is there reality playing out as you assumed it would? And if it is, well, then you know you're at least on the right track. Now, how you measure that? Well, we deal with that often, right? And like, how, how do I know if I'm on the right track? And it's it's really about coming back to the assumptions you made and seeing if they were in reality, uh, accurate, right? If you actually, and and the bottom line, the other bottom line here is they're very likely to not be exactly as you assumed, right? Uh, one of the things I always like to remind folks when we look at a financial planning analysis is like, oh, by the way, none of this will be how reality plays out. We're going to get really close. We're going to make like the best, most educated assumptions and, and estimations we can, but it's not going to be precise. It's going to get close. And, and the more the closer kind of period time frame that we get, that's where we start to really understand how accurate we were and what tweaks and pivots we need to make from there. Yeah, certainly a lot can change. And what looks great on paper might not always work well in real life. So I think it's important to remember that, say you've set your retirement date, you're getting close to it. You realize, hey, this isn't this didn't turn out exactly like I thought. There's no shame in resetting that date, in finding something that's going to work well, something that you can continue working to to make it work. So I guess my question now is what happens if you need to reset your retirement date? How do you reframe that not only in your head if you've say you've had 60 in your mind for years, now you're 58 and saying, This isn't gonna work. Have you met anybody who's had to do that? Better now than later is is all all I would say because that's I mean he, here's here's another kind of secret I suppose or how the sausage is made as far as the financial planning analysis and recommendations go is you're never going to reach a point in time where you're going to say okay well kaput I have zero you know income I have no resources whatsoever and I got to kind of just like start over from scratch and go work at McDonald's or whatever the case is and just right you're always going to have the ability to fine tune right you're always going to have the ability to say if you're at 58 and you're thinking about retiring at 60 and it just doesn't look like those assumptions are in line and you're not going to be able to make it work you just extend it right you have to say okay well I need to push this back to the next most reasonable age again making assumptions that are going to be increasingly more precise because you are closer to kind of that adjustment but it's always a period of adjustment and once you hit retirement you have to be ready to adjust there as well you can't go into retirement assuming like I'm going to take x percent out of my portfolio and there's no such thing as sequence of return risk and there's no such thing as you know all of these kind of uh, externalities that can affect what happens in your retirement, you have to be ready to pivot and to be nimble. And you know, the bottom line is we talk about saving and investing and sort of preparing for your future. And that's real, realistically like what it boils down to is how well have you done that will give you the ability to make less of those changes 
once you are retired, but you'll have to deal with it. There's no, there's no other way around it. You either have to cut, cut, cut spending or increase income or right. Something needs to change. And so if pushing back the age is the change, even if you are already retired and you say, well, I need to go back to work for a couple of years to, to make ends meet, you should be ready to be flexible to do that if you need to. But again, preparation ahead of time is the thing that can really limit that, right? Better, better sort of planning earlier will always cut down on those, those things happening. Yeah. And even if you've really set that magic number, you're getting close to reaching it. Everything looks spot on. I feel like no matter what your age, you really have to decide what you're going to do in retirement because you're, you know, you're not just going to sit, sit in the rocking chair, sit on your, your lazy boy and watch TV. You're going to want to be out doing things if you're able to. You want to, at that point, to enrich your life, enjoy everything that you've worked so hard for. So how do you really help people envision kind of what their future selves are going to do instead of just focusing on that magic number? I, I mean, I think this is why retirement is like a, a, a bad word, right? Is because when we say it, we think about those things, the rocking chair and the like sunset and, you know, it just whatever, the cat on a lap with the blanket and I don't know. But but no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if we rephrase it to financial independence and all we're thinking about there is that you just don't need, you know, someone to pay you, right, money for your, you know, your labor, your, your efforts to support yourself, right? Then you are financially independent. You can do what you want, right? Well, when you can do what you want, what is that, right? What is what you want? And so it's really important to start thinking about that, you know, not necessarily decades in advance of when you're going to retire, but, but certainly, you know, years before it would be a really good idea to start understanding how you're going to occupy your time, what you're going to do, because you could easily just retire because it sounded like the thing you were supposed to do and wanted to do, uh, and find yourself right. Falling into unhealthy habits, just kind of hanging out, doing nothing, being sedentary and you know, whatever. And that's, that's, that's an easy trap to fall into. So really start to map out like where you want to go with things, what you want to do, see the world, take up golf, you know, whatever it is. But that is a part of the planning. Part of the planning is, is there is of course a huge non-financial component to this, and it's definitely right time occupying, you know, and how you spend your time. I feel like the that retirement age or that financial independent independence age, like becoming a certain date, really kind of firms up the closer you get to it. So, how can m- maybe millennials and Gen Z be thinking about when to reach financial independence? Is it something that they should really consider, like turning off and turning back on, like a sabbatical, or going from a, that quote unquote regular job to something more part time? Or should they be thinking about a decade, like I'll reach financial independence in my mid forties or mid fifties? Right, right. So, so I think about this, right? You know, a, a goal without a plan is just a dream, right? So, I like that. Yeah, right. So. You, you you can have dreams. The younger you are, you have dreams about things, right? Like I, you know, want to be a bazillionaire and you know, uh, jet set and just go all over the world, and that's great. But you should also probably have, you know, specifically a goal and a plan behind it, right? My goal is to not be working when I am in my forties uh, because I want to spend more time with my family. And here is how I'm going to execute on that. Here is how I'm going to get through the actual accomplishment of that rather than just, again, dreaming about it. That's where you put the planning into action. So I guess the takeaway for me here is to simply just be able to pick an age, pick a period of time even. I want to be able to be retired and or financially independent between 
50 and 60. That is going to be a much more effective mechanism for you to plan with. It's going to start to force you to think about how to actually get that plan uh, accomplished than just thinking, ah, someday I don't have to work and I'm going to be really rich. Yeah, it's putting those building blocks in place now to reach it and then also putting the blocks in place during that time period so you can actually make it happen and make that transition. So getting into today's takeaways, um, number one, retirement isn't a bad word, but financial independence might be a better one. Well, I, I, I think retirement is not a bad word. I think we we need to simplify this. The idea is simply that this is financial independence, but we can call it whatever we want to. The bottom line is is that we are no longer working again for somebody else to pay us for uh, our labor and our expertise. But we could if we wanted to. But we, we we could. We can always do whatever, right? Like that. That's the beauty of it. Financial independence, retirement doesn't matter. You can still you can do what you want, and that's the point. Yes. And takeaway number two, um, you can set or reset that date at any time. And there's no shame in setting and resetting it or gaining financial independence and then going back to work, whether that is something that you have to do or something that you want to do. Yeah. And I mean, here's the other thing too is, you know, and this is takeaway number three is you don't need to set a date until you're truly filling it, right? You don't need to pick a date on the calendar. Uh, Like I said earlier, you could pick a range. You can say, I am... 25 now, I'm in a really good job. I have a 401k. I'm starting to save. And I'm thinking about, you know, 50, 55 as my range. And that becomes at least part of the target for which you can actually plan. And that brings us to number four. If you have a specific goal in mind right now, set it. Because like we mentioned just a little bit ago, you can start putting those building blocks into place. You can start to plan what that's going to look like and what you're going to do when you reach financial independence. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's it's easy to put it off or kind of stop right working too early. And, and then, yeah, the, the other part here is that you may find yourself in a situation, especially without, you know, the planning aspect of it and just more of the falling into retirement. It's, it's really easy to potentially do that too soon, too early. So, let leverage right the uh, expertise of of a professional right professionals uh have been through this and understand and have done this you know like we said earlier uh dozens of times right with their clients and have seen that sort of maze and have the 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 guide and the in the in the flashlight so you know really make sure if you're struggling with understanding of uh, you know how to not only pick that date but also that plan to get there uh that there are uh, professional resources out there that can certainly help you with that Absolutely. And with today's takeaways taken care of, um, if you have any questions for us or comments about today's show, uh, feel free to reach out to us, podcast at fpfoco.com. Also, if you have an idea for a future podcast, if you want Jason and myself to chat about certain topic and how it affects generations from baby boomers to X, Y, and Z. Reach out, let us know. Um, We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, feel free to rate and review us on your favorite podcast feed. Thanks for listening. Jason Spessner and Regina Neenan are investment advisor representatives of Financial Planning Fort Collins, a registered investment advisor. The information in this podcast is provided for general educational and entertainment purposes only. It may not apply to you or your specific circumstances and should not be considered financial, investment, or tax advice.